Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rido, joined as always by the great Teddy Atlas. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Again, we've talked about this in the past, but a product I genuinely love. Honestly, I take it every morning without fail. Even if I slip up with what I'm eating, a scoop of Athletic Greens in the morning makes sure I'm covered and staying healthy and mentally sharp. It's the ultimate all-in-one supplement for the body with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food and sourced ingredients. It includes prebiotics, probiotics, digestive en- enzymes, adaptogens, superfoods, and more. Special offer, a special offer just for our listeners. Get 20 free Athletic Green travel packs valued at $79 with your first purchase. These travel packs are great. I keep them in my suitcase just to make sure I'm always covered even when I'm traveling. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas to take advantage of the offer. Also, shout out to MyBookie. They've been with us for a while, mybookie.ag. If you're looking to place bets on the Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz rematch or any other sporting event, be sure to go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for a 50% credit in your account. Also, MyBookie has a special offer right now for the Thanksgiving Bears-Lions game. Make this otherwise terrible game more enjoyable by placing a risk-free bet on it. Pick either team against the spread for $250 at no risk. If you win, you get an additional $250 in your account. If you lose, my bookie will give you your money back. Again, use the promo code ATLAS, that's A-T-L-A-S, for a 50% credit in your account. Teddy, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Ken, to you and your family, your beautiful family. Can we change the menu? Uh, Campbell's uh, New England clam chowder. I, I mean, I don't mind the soup, but does it have to be New England clam chowder? You know, because I know there's a bias there. I mean, it's it's where you come from, New England. And New England Patriots, uh, there's a little suggestion, possibly, of a uh, little favoritism towards uh, Tom Brady and Belichick. And they don't need any more favoritism. They have enough. They have enough love. Uh, can, can we get something else in there instead of New England? I don't know. I mean, just plain old tomato soup or uh, and, and just can we that's just a request just a small one you're not gonna like the replacement because it's gonna be just vegetables <laughs> uh, that's healthy that's that's okay you know what i'm gonna i want to just real quickly because we uh we have that great audience out there obviously there's a sports audience but it's just a people audience and you just made me think of it that and you gave me an opportunity to kind of segue into something that did bother me a tiny bit. Um, We'll cross from boxing to football for a second, and we'll be able to maybe uh, give another reason why, besides the Bears-Lions game, why people can go to my bookie and maybe find a good wager for themselves uh, during Thanksgiving or maybe on the weekend of Thanksgiving. But... It's it's freaking bothering me. I'm sorry. I, I can say that word. That's not a curse. But last week, and look, I know there's potential of a bias, but I, I try to be really transparent, and I think people trust me pretty much that I I can kind of control my my biases pretty much and, and be pretty straightforward and pretty honest about things. I, I try to be the best I can, but... This last weekend, the Oakland Raiders got beat up by the Jets, okay? And uh, they did. And there's no excuse in that. But did you see that rough in the passer call? Did did anybody see that rough in the passer call? I mean, are we playing touch football now? I mean, really? (laughs) 
Well, what are we, what are we doing? Uh, and and I know it happens, but it never happened to the frequency it happens now with these new rules. And I understand you have to protect the star. I get it, but at what point? At, and and it's the thing that kills me is the discretion of the ref. And look, I take shots at boxing, so. When I heard you talking about football, I said, I got to say something because fair is fair. You know, yeah, I'm going to go after boxing when they do things wrong. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that we, that we put a light on those things. We have to. We have no one to put a light on them. But football, God, you're, 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 you're messing up. You're messing up. You're, you're destroying this game where that roughing the passer – uh, on I, f- I forget who it was. It might have been on Crosby, but on Oakland Raiders, it was ridiculous. Nobody, it was a normal football play. I mean, really. And and then it changed the whole tone of the game. I'm not saying that the Jets beat the crap out of them. So I'm not saying it would have changed the score of the game, but it was wrong. It was crazy. And you know what? As long as I'm going crazy, you know, I, I, I know... I, uh, what was that old saying? Has no fury like the father of a son who's working for an NFL football team and you screw with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> Has no fury like that. I mean, I, yeah, my son, we'll put it all out there, full transparency. My son works for the Oakland Raiders. But Commissioner Goodell, all you guys, um, did you, and, and the fans, we talk about uh, sometimes that terrible, terrible word out there, corruption, with boxing, and it's there, and it lurks, and it lurks, and sometimes it doesn't even lurk. Sometimes it, it should lurk, and, and it should hide, but it doesn't. It's too much there for everybody to see. But has everybody wondered about, I know they got the commission and they got the structure that we don't have in boxing that I always scream for and wish we had with a national commission. But anybody ever think about the possibility of fixing football games, how much easier it is now, how much easier it would be right now? The refs don't make all that much money. So now when you have open, just just open season on calls. You could call if a guy picks his nose, rubbing the nose. Or, or that, <laughs> no good. Right there. What, what did I do? You did something. You rubbed his nose. And, and I'm throwing a flag. And the, just the regularity of these flags for nothing and where the judges now of it, the, the guys in control, the referees of it, can basically use their own discretion to explain it away, to say, yep, yeah, that's, that's how I saw it. So now, it's in the past, you say it'd be tough to fix a game because you throw a flag somebody to say, hey, wait a minute, why did, why did you throw that flag? I, I have to contest that. I have to question that. Nobody's questioning it now. It's, it's open season on anything is a foul anything is a potential flag so did anybody ever think how much easier it would be to fix a damn football game get a hold of a referee give him a hundred grand or whatever the freak you have to give him a few stacks in that christmas stocking that's coming up <laughs> right <laughs> and and just say hey do your thing do do what you gotta do 
Just get me home. Get me home and there'll be more for you, baby. There'll be yeah. more. And don't worry, nobody's going to question. You could call anything. After what I saw and what I've been seeing, who the freak is going to question it? They're just going to say, yeah, that's the game now. I mean, really? Did anyone think of that, Ken? Any, about, am I crazy? Am I well, we've got some we've got some uh, highly questionable calls in uh, boxing that we're going to get into. But before we get to one of them, I know everyone's dying to hear your thoughts on uh, Wilder Ortiz two, and uh, going into the seventh round. Obviously, uh, Wilder won by knockout in the seventh round. But going into the seventh round, the judges had it. Two judges had it. Um, 59-55, so 5-1 to one for um, Ortiz. One guy had it 4-2, to two, so 58-56 for Ortiz. You could First have easily made First of all, I'm going to applaud the judges. I'm going to, just for two seconds, I'm going to interrupt you, and then you continue. I'm going to applaud the judges. I knocked the crap out of judges, if you haven't noticed, and they deserve it a lot of times. But when they deserve to be applauded... <laughs> I'm going to applaud them. I had it 6 nothing, 5-1, beautiful. Beautiful, but but they at least they had it right for the guy that's the B side of that equation. Well, to be honest, in a fight in a fight this big, it would have been very hard for them to score it any other way because, like you said, it was six to nothing. I mean, there were rounds where it looked like Wilder didn't even want to be in there. He was just he was inactive. It, it was it was slow. Ortiz looked like he was coming out fast, hoping to get him out of there quickly. But obviously, Wilder with the great equalizer eliminated a 6-0, arguably a 6-0 deficit and put him right out. Um, tell me what you saw in the fight and what you thought of the at the end. The first thing I'm going to say is for all those people out there that, and, and again, full disclosure, baby. You know, we put it all out there. When we're right, we're right. We're wrong, we're wrong. I said it was a potential of a first-round knockout. But I said, I'm going to pick Wilder. By knockout within five rounds. I'm off by two rounds. Okay, I'm off by two rounds. It wasn't one, but I said within five. So I'm off by two rounds. But what I'm going to stand by that I was right about, that the history of this sport has shown us that when two fighters leave it all in the ring like they did the first time, it was a great fight. Their first, this fight was not a great fight. But the first fight was a great fight. And when two fighters leave it all in the ring, like Wilder and Ortiz the first time, and one of them is significantly older. Ortiz is 40 years old. One of them is significantly older, and they lose by knockout. The second time, the younger fighter wins easier. Well, you know what? Wilder won easier. So I'm going to stand by that. It was easy. Yeah, he was losing. Teddy, how could he win easier if he's losing 6 nothing? Well, he didn't get hurt. It wasn't like you know he was in a firefight. It wasn't like, you know, he was, he was taking a lot of damage. It wasn't like, you know, he was on, a, on the brink of defeat on the edge of the cliff and he had to pull himself out the way he did the first time. Yeah, this fight was easier. It was easier the second time. And, uh, you know, you could say there was some small dramas or controlled theater where... You, you had it 6 nothing, and oh gee, wonder what. But I had the feeling all along that it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. I, I always had the feeling like, you know, when, you know, when is that kind of like the Roadrunner, you know, cartoon. You know, the Roadrunner and the uh, Wile E. Coyote, 
you know, the, the, the Coyote never gets the Roadrunner. You know, he, he's doing good. He's racing against him. He's running, he's running, and then bam! <laughs> he gets hit with that train, you know? And I was just, it was kind of like that. I was wondering when the coyote was going to get hit by the train. You know, when, when like, just bang, smash, it was going to end. And it came in the seventh round. And, you know, it, once again, it shows you... It's pretty damn nice to have a great eraser. It's it's nice in life. I I said in one of my tweets. You guys follow my tweets. I said, uh, Rob, my man Rob's got me tweeting. I'm a like I'm I'm like a Tweety Bird. I, I mean, he's got me out there tweeting, Ken. And so during the fight, I was covering it for Sports Center up in Bristol. And so in between the rounds, when I'm watching it, I'm I'm trying to shoot off tweets to Rob, and I was. And one of the tweets I said was that. The great, and I said it during the course of the fight. I said, look, the, his technical lackings, his being Wilder, his technical flaws are really showing themselves again. He's, in, you know, he's, he's behind again because of what he doesn't do well. But that eraser is going to be needed tonight and it will have to be called on. And it was, it was called on. And one of my tweets I said was that having power like Wada has, is kind of like going to the confessional booth at church. It cleanses all your sins, <laughs> you know? I mean, I know you don't have any sins, Ken. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know that. But for the most people, <laughs> and look at you underneath that New England clam chowder, that might be a sin. That could be a sin. <laughs> because because people, there was people that are tired of the New England stuff. The New England, you know, the Brady, the Belichick, the, the really, they're tired. It's enough. Like, share it. Share, the, you know what I mean? Change that soup up. Change it up. <laughs> but, for the, but for the regular person out there, it is great to have that eraser. Boy, everyone wished they could have that. And, and again, it is like going to the confessional in church. You know, you go in there and you come out new. You know, all your sins, all the things you did wrong, all of a sudden you start over. And all the things that Wilder did wrong for seven rounds, and he did a lot of things wrong, but boom, clean. <laughs> you, you, you know, like the, like the driven rain. Clean as the driven rain. And it's nice to have that. But how long can you get away with it? You know, Let's put things in perspective. All you haters out there, I'll give you fuel. I'll give it to you. You want it? You want to be fed? I'll feed you. But I, I, I give it on both sides. I just give the, what I believe to be what I'm aware of, what, what I believe to be the truth. Yeah, he's tremendous with that power. And he's got plenty of heart water. He's shown me that already. But he's flawed. And one of the reasons why he's so successful, let's start with the power. But another is the landscape of what's out there. You know, I mean, there's not that many good heavyweights out there if you haven't noticed, you know, so you can get away with it. How do you beat a guy? Because I know that's the question that people ask when they're listening to this. And I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, they're, they're saying, but Teddy, then how do you do it? How do you? Well, first of all, you understand where it's at its deadliest, where that power is at its foremost. It's when you give him range. He needs range. 
if you guys haven't noticed, really, he's not hitting him any six-inch Joe Lewis right hands. No, he, he has. he's not landing those. These are fully extended right hands where he's developed a good delivery system, a real good delivery system where he, he sets you up with the jab, he blinds you with the jab, and the right hand's right behind it. You don't see it. But he needs cooperation for that. He needs range. If you're in close, he can't do it. He needs distance, and he needs a stationary target. He needs you in front. So how do you take that away from him? First of all, give him angles. You know, don't stand in front. You know, don't be that stationary target. You know, don't don't be that don't be that making it easy where you're shooting fish in a barrel. You know, where you're in a carnival and you know you're you're putting holes in that star. But now. Go in the carnival and go to one of those concessions, one of those stands where the target's moving a little bit. Ah, maybe your score's not as high. Maybe your aim's not as good. So a moving target. Don't stand in front. Get angles. Move to the side. You know, before he can put you in the sights, and he does. He puts you in the sights. Just, just like, a, you know, you, you have that range finder on a bazooka, and you look into that scope, and you're, okay, I got him. I got him locked in. Bang! Well, don't let him lock you in. Get to the side. The other thing is move in past his jab. Move your head. Get in past the jab. And then when you get in there, stay in there. He's not a good inside fighter. Yeah, you got to avoid the right uppercut. There's power there too. But for the most part, you can control things when you get inside. Now you can take away that that dangerous, that hydrogen bomb. You can take it away. And you get inside and you work inside. You got to stay there and you got to be consistent because there's no margin for error. You got to fight that kind of fight all night long. And you know what? Ortiz was fighting that fight in spots, but not consistent enough. Then he come back outside. No, you got to stay inside. You you got to stay inside, man. You got to make the referee, you know, force you to get out. You got to keep your hands free. You got to keep working. You got to stay. You don't want to go back out where there's that range. There's that distance. There's that dangerous neighborhood, that dangerous neighborhood you can get mugged in to try to go through again where the guy can hit you with that range with the right hand. You have to be able to stay in there. And But again, give him all the credit. For me, what I saw, that's what I saw in the fight. I, I saw, you know, Nothing that I'm not used to seeing. I saw a lack in a lot of areas from a technical standpoint uh, where he pulls straight back, wilder. He stands straight up. Uh, sometimes he'll push the jab where you can get close. Uh, you can find him on a straight line where you can follow him and find him just like Ortiz found him with a straight left hand from the southpaw position. But at the end of the day, he does have that great equalizer. There's no doubt about that. And I, um, you know, I, I mean, I point that out. I, I obviously, I, I give him all the credit in the world for having that. But sooner or later, one of these days, you would think there's somebody who's going to understand from watching these fights what the blueprint is. But then you got to have the talent to do it. You have to have the mindset to do it, the experience to do it, the wherewithal to do it, the nerve, the nerve, I'll say it again, the nerve, the steadiness mentally to be able to fight that kind of fight. 
There's been a lot of talk, especially on Twitter, about um, Wilder being the uh, biggest puncher in the history of boxing. Where do you think he ranks in the heavyweight division as the as being the heaviest, the biggest puncher in the history of the sport, in the heavyweight division and in the sport as a whole? Well, I mean, that's a big question. And, uh, I mean, you're talking about a sport that's been around for 200 years. So I'm glad you qualified it. So heavyweight division sport you know two two separate places um there but i i jotted down some notes for myself i just want to make them available to myself on that because i know that the fans you know they they're asking that question and i take it serious and first of all he's before i give my complete answer i'm gonna say that He's definitely, obviously, in the conversation, probably, definitely in the heavyweight division of all time, and maybe in the sport of all time, believe it or not. Now, look, let's be fair. Some of the guys that, first of all, he's got the highest. If you go by percentages, you can't go by stats. Stats lie to you. You know, just like you see some guys, uh, how many yards they they got receiving in a football game, Ken. And you see it during garbage time. You see it when the scrubs are in there. I shouldn't say scrubs. When the backups, nobody's a scrub that can make the freaking NFL. And nobody's a scrub that gets that can at least get in the ring. At least they, they got something that they're facing that a lot of people can't face and can't do. But the backups are in there. So in the last two minutes, yeah, you might gain... 200 yards receiving. You might catch seven passes, uh, you know, uh, in a game that's a 45 nothing blowout. But again, those stats, come on. How real are they? They're not real. They're not real. So, you got to question them. So I'm going to say that it's only fair to say that, yeah, I know he has the highest knockout percentage, and he might wind up with the highest knockout percentage uh, of all time. He's had 42 fights i believe wilder and he's knocked out 41 guys wow that's a pretty good knockout percentage but who's he knocked out i mean and again power is power and i'm gonna get to where i need to get to and give him full credit but i'm also gonna explore the areas that need to be explored before i give it to him he's knocked out you know there's been i mean there's been a lot of mailmen and and milkmen on that on that list you know and baker's you know, that's a good combination, Bakers and and uh, and Milkmen. That goes together pretty well. I didn't even think about that. That's a perfect combination. But there's a lot of, uh, really, <laughs> there's a lot of Bakers and Mailmen on that list. And look, I know all the heavyweights, all the fighters have a certain amount of Bakers and Mailmen on their list, on their resume. It's part of the game to build a guy up. But man, this guy's this guy's got the all time record uh, for some of them. So part of it is who you're knocking out. But still, power is power. Power is power, and the impact is the impact. The force is the force, and there's no disputing that that he has that kind of power uh, to be up there with anybody. I'm gonna touch on some of the names I. When you're talking about the history of the sport, first of all, 
I mean, you got Sugar Ray Robinson. You got Lou Jenkins. Probably a lot of people never heard of him. He was a lightweight. I mean, he was as skinny as uh, a pencil. But, again, Wild is skinny, too. To me, that's always the guys you got to look out for. Bob Foster, the great light heavyweight champ. I mean, they were thin, wiry guys. They get leverage. They get talk, talk, talk in their punches. I mean, that's where the power comes from. That's where it emanates from. A lot of people think it's got to be all muscle. No, no. It's, uh, I mean, Tommy Hearns, skinny guy. You know, so you got guys like Lou Jenkins, Carlos Zarate, bantamweight champion. He had 58 knockouts. I'm thinking about you fans out there. I just wanted to give you something, to, just a little something to chew on. You know, you're getting nothing with that soup behind my man. And I love my man. You're getting nothing with the soup. But you, I want to give you a little meat uh, to go with that soup. You know, with that clam chow. Give it to the clams. And 58 knockouts in 65 fights. Carlos Serrade, bantamweight champ. Sandy Sadler, featherweight champion. He had 103. You ready for this, Ken? 103 knockouts in his career. 103. Archie Moore, light heavyweight champ. 130 knockouts in his career. Yeah, there were a few bakers. There, were, <laughs> there was a couple bakers, but there were a lot of good fighters back in those days that they were fighting. A lot more than, than what they're doing right now. To Again, like it or not, truth, just just the truth, baby. Just the truth. So Adonis Stevenson, I mean, a great the light heavyweight champion that that um, held the title for five and a half years. What a punch. I got to see him firsthand, up close, in personal. That guy could punch with anybody. Now, just heavyweights. Well, Pretty impressive company. I'm going to talk about guys that punch just with the right hand, and that's what Wilder does, just the right hand. Max Bear, he can punch with the right hand. 52 knockouts in 83 fights, not bad. He started his career the first 18 months. He fought 27 times, winning 20 by knockout. You ready for this? He scored 100 knockdowns in less than 100 rounds. Well, there was a Jeez. few bakers there. Okay, there were a couple bakers. <laughs> Definitely, the cream pie got destroyed. I mean, the Boston cream. I'm using Boston cream, Ken, because I love you. Uh, the Boston cream all over the canvas, but still, <laughs> the, still, you, power is power. And and then you got Ernie Shavers. You know, 68 knockout, knockouts in 89 fights. Again, right hand, knock a building down. Uh, and then you got to go and you got to switch a little bit. You got to go to guys like Tyson, you know. I mean, I know a lot of people think, oh, you don't like Tyson. Well, no, I, I say what I think. And he belongs up there. And he could punch with either hand. That's what differentiated him. So what are we saying? Well, one punch, yeah, one punch knockout, okay. But Tyson had one punch knockout with either hand, left or right. You choose it. Another one, George Foreman. 68 knockouts in 81 fights. Wow. His first career before he retired and came back, I wish, well, anyway, I'm, I'm glad he came back, except I'm not happy that he did the one fight that he did with my guy. But um, again, I saw his power firsthand. His first career, Ken, before he retired, he had knocked out 42 of 47 fighters. So, you know, and then, you got the great Joe Lewis. I mean, Joe Lewis could punch with either hand, and nobody finished guys better than Joe Lewis. He had 54 knockouts in 71 fights. 
could punch with either hand. And then you had Rocky Marciano. I know there's some Marciano fans that are going to go nuts if I don't mention him. Go nuts. And 43 knockouts in 49 fights. And then you had the great Cuban amateur, three-time Olympic gold medalist, Teofilio Stevenson. In all his Olympic fights, only one opponent went the distance because he ran around the ring for three rounds. So, listen. Having said all of that, putting all that out there, I'm going to say Wilder's the greatest heavyweight punch I ever saw. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say I'm going to say for one punch for one punch. You know, I I don't care if he's they're tough bakers that some of them that he's knocking out. You know, some of those plumbers he's knocking out. They're tough plumbers. But still, you got to have power to do what he does. And um, so as far as the sport of boxing, let's just say, obviously, if I got him number one in the heavyweights as the greatest puncher I've ever seen, uh, I have him up there in really great company in the history of the sport in any weight class. Obviously, he'll be up there. Um, we'll hold off on, on saying he's the greatest puncher in the sport of boxing any weight class. But for heavyweights, and that's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. We're going to say, I'm going to say that, yeah, he can, uh, he can bang. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's going to yeah, be happy punches, to hear and that. And I'll finish it with this. As I always say, punches are born. They're not made. I'm sure um, Deontay Wilder will be happy to hear that, and uh, we'll look to have him on as a guest in the build-up for his um, rematch with Tyson Fury, and that fight's been announced February 22nd at MGM Grand, I believe is the final venue where they finalized it, but um, that will be a good one. There'll be tons of anticipation. They'll have the whole um, NFL playoff season leading into the Super Bowl to build and hype that one. It looks like it's going to be a joint promotion between Fox and uh, ESPN. So this has the potential to be one of the biggest fights of all time. I mean, it's got a, it's going to have a, um, a, a lot of wood to chop to catch uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather, but um, certainly one of the biggest heavyweight fights in um, of all time, if not in recent history. So it'll be interesting to see how that promotion goes. The timing is perfect for them. Um, but speaking of, uh, we touched on earlier um, corruption. Let's, say, well, let me, let's touch on one other thing. Sure. Just before we finish up with uh, with that, and and as you said. We're getting to, well, where we're supposed to get to, right? The rematch. I mean, that's why, that's why ESPN, why Bob Arum got ESPN to pony up the 100 million or whatever the heck the, these crazy numbers are, but uh, f to sign up Fury. It was to get to the rematch. And they've gotten there. Let's have a, a two-minute discussion on is it as big as it was supposed to be? Do you feel it? I'm not feeling it. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. And it better be for a lot of those executives at ESPN and the people that signed off and maybe for Aram who sold it. And maybe it will be. 
I'll say this, Tyson Fury is definitely doing his part. That guy is everywhere. He's in the wrestling ring. He's challenging MMA fighters. I mean... No, but here's the thing. Let's go to hard numbers because that's all we can rely on sometimes. You know, the rest of it is just banter, promotional, Mm -hmm. talk, hope. I love hope. I love hope, baby. I love hope. I hope for Christmas I get what... I want my wife to get me. Um, you know, that's she gets it for me. Um, I don't know if I've been good enough to get it, though. So I am hoping. <laughs> I am hoping. Maybe hoping against hope. But, you know, tangible stuff, Ken. Uh, Fury, they signed him up because he was that crossover guy, right? He was the guy who was going to cross over and bring the other fans. Not just the diehards. They don't need just the diehards. We need you. We need you. Don't get me wrong. But they needed the other fans. The fans that came to make Pacquiao and Mayweather the storm, the perfect storm of promotions. They needed those fans. By the way, they weren't just boxing fans that made that, you know, the greatest, biggest boxing fight. I'm not talking about Conor McGregor right now because that came along too uh, in the same sort of way. But it was the biggest fight, biggest financial bonanza of all time in boxing, that fight. And it wasn't just the diehards. It was the crossover of people coming. And that's what they figured Fury did that with his intellect, with his craziness, with his size. You know, Andre the Giant with boxing gloves on. But but smart, witty guy and great story. And, you know, he could do outrageous things. And, you know, he'll bring those people over. That's why they paid him. But then they went and they got him a couple tune-ups. You didn't see those numbers in the tune-ups, Ken. I mean, we talk the truth here. We, we're not, you know, we're, we're not for hire by the promoters, you know, to do their bidding. We, we'll do their bidding if it turns out that's what we need to do to put forward the truth. We'll do it in two seconds. And we, and we do. But for those tune-up fights, those fights where they were bringing fury out to the public to let the public, to whet their appetite on fury... They didn't really come out. The first one against Schwartz was, I mean, it was pretty bad. It was a crime. I mean, it was pretty bad. Now, the second one was with a game guy that went the distance. Fury got cut, but there was only one guy really winning that fight. It was competitive. The guy showed a lot of heart, but it wasn't like there was, it wasn't like there was danger in that ring of him losing and overcoming something. It wasn't like he was, full of great greatest talent you ever saw it was it was you know it was a game opponent no doubt about it gamer than people thought he was going to be but fury was just a big guy who he he had to get gritty to win that and he got gritty and he won he was cut and but there was no explosion of talent am i wrong i mean you're right i mean it was nothing where you say oh my god i i got to go and see LeBron James again when he comes to my neighborhood. That talent. I, I got to see because the way he crossed over and he went between the guy's legs with the pads and then he went and finished and he dunked and he... You know, 
I mean, those two fights, those two fights uh, on ESPN did nothing to, uh, in my opinion, build Fury up. But if they used the clips from the first Wilder fight and him getting off the deck when it looked like he was dead, that could be a good promotional video. And I'm sure that that's what they're going to focus on during the playoffs and the Super Bowl and the build up to this fight. So I think you're right. There's some like there's some questions out there, but I think with the joint promotion and the, all the creative minds involved. They're gonna build a lot of frenzy. It'll be interesting to but see. But did though, they like make a said, mistake? They, yeah, because listen, it might become as big as they want, it, and I hope it is. It's good for boxing. Yeah, I hope it is. I'll say it again. I hope it is. But I'm just putting all the sides out there. Yeah, did they by putting them in with these kind of guys? Did they lose a little something that they might not get back? And showing because at the end of the day the people want to see talent they want to see they want to see something that they're going to pay that kind of money $80 $90 whatever the price is going to be they want to see an explosion of talent not just a guy that you know went through a couple easier guys and you know knows how to talk and he's big but did they lose something along the way did they spend so much time with those kind of opponents where they kind of, in some ways, and what I'm about to make as far as the analogy, I love these guys. I did a fight plan with them. I used to take my kids to watch them. The Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Did they form the Harlem Globetrotters? I love the Harlem. Oh, my God. Metalock Lemon. Ah, uh, Curly dribbling a ball. But you know what? The people ain't coming to see a fight to see a guy dribbling a ball, to see Metalock Lemon, who's a big, funny guy, you know, who could throw a great hook shot. But because it got connected with the Washington Generals, they always played the Washington Generals. And the Washington Generals, here's a little secret, they don't win. <laughs> they don't win. They're just there as an opponent. By putting them in there with those fights they did, did they create a Harlem Globetrotters where he's in? they're in there with the Washington Generals? And instead of looking at the things you have to look at when you're trying to sell a fight, the guy, the guy being, uh, listen, I'll use a name. I'm not afraid. Tyson. The thing that sold Tyson, even when Tyson wasn't Tyson anymore, was... People went there because there was danger. There was explosiveness. He could knock your head off. And then later on they went because he might pick you up and knock your head off by throwing you out of the ring. He <laughs> might do something crazy. But it was dark. It was scary. Boxing's connected to that. I don't think, as much as I love the Harlem Globetrotters, you're not getting the people to come over to pay $80 for a boxing match. To see Metalock Lemon and Curly perform. Yeah. You want to see what you saw with Tyson or the potential to see. You want to see talent. You want to see explosiveness. You want to see danger. You want to see something scary. Listen, I hate to use this now, but the truth is the truth. Some of the people looked at Tyson because for the morbid curiosity that that freaking people look at a a car accident. Something scary. You shouldn't be looking at a car accident, but you still look. 
You still look because there's something scary. There's something, oh my God, but, but you can't help but look. People, when they look at a fight, when you're building a fight, they, they want to they wanna look at something that they don't see every day. That somebody, bang, going to get knocked cold. And look, we see that with Wilder. But have we been seeing that with Fury, the guy they put the money into, to say, buy this fight, that's what you're going to see. Or you're going to see... Like I said, they're, they're paid, people will look to the car accident, but they're not going to look to see 20 clowns stack into a Volkswagen. You know, I, <laughs> right? They're not, then, you, you know what I mean, Ken? Yeah. They're, they're not looking, yeah, they go to the circus. There's no more circus anymore, by the way. They took that away from us, too. But <laughs> they they go and they see that, ha ha, they laugh. They're like, but people aren't coming to a fight on the whole to laugh. Yeah, exactly. They they're not coming on a whole. When you're asking them for this kind of money, they they come. And now, you've you've had some big pay per views like we talked about Pacquiao and Mayweather, and they disappointed. So I yeah. think the bar is a little higher now. I think I agree. the people are a little bit more suspect. I I, I do. I I is it fair what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I agree with you. You're right. They did disappoint it. I, I, they, they did disappoint. That fight was a huge disappointment for me. It came very late. I thought it could have happened sooner. And uh, yeah, it was disappointing, to say the least. I think so, most people would agree with I'm, that. I'm just saying that, listen, this might become huge. It might become huge. But I'm not, I'm not positive. I'm not positive that the people are going to clamor or are clamoring now that you're ready to to say, here we are, we're ready now. <laughs> yep. You know, we're ready now. I'm not so sure the people have bought in the way they need to buy in for this to be a bonanza. Yeah. You know, and, um, but again, I, I and I'll finish with going back to the Wilder. I wanted to just finish with, you know, being the greatest heavyweight punch I ever saw. I'll say it again in case you think you you guys were, you know, starting to have a little bit of uh those libations you're gonna have tomorrow. Or you're gonna have not tomorrow what you how would I you're gonna have for Thanksgiving. Um yeah tomorrow. You're gonna have uh maybe maybe some of you started those libations early. Uh so you think you'd be thinking, oh, am I really hearing it, or am I a little woozy? Did Teddy really say he's the greatest puncher? Yeah, I said it. And his delivery system to do it is the same delivery system that George Foreman used in his second comeback, and he used it to knock my guy out. It's the same delivery system that the great Teofilio Stevenson, a great Cuban three-time Olympic gold medalist, amateur used to knock guys out, blind them with the jab. Igamar Johansson, who knocked out uh, knocked out Floyd Patterson to win the t- title. It's the same delivery system that he used. And I want to show it to the people what it, what it is because they hear me talk about it. And what it is, Ken, is... You know, you you throw the jab, and you don't even have to land. You don't want to land. Yeah, I said it. You don't want to land. People say, are you nuts? 
You don't want to land a jet. Yeah. You just want to blind them. Where you can't see me, can you, Ken? Yeah, I can see you. Oh, I want to blind you. <laughs> Did I blind you a little bit? Yep. All right, so that's what you want to do. You want to just put the jab out there where for a second he doesn't see what's about to come. And then, boom, don't even land the jab. Just before it even lands, and if you watch the replay, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Before it even lands, boom. And you know what that does? That causes a situation where you hit him a blind punch. A punch where you didn't have time for the brain to register it coming. Because when the jab doesn't land, you relax. The guy relaxes. He says, I got a little time now. I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't have to get ready for an earthquake. I don't have to, you know, start to, you know, start to nail pictures down and, and, and you know, shutter the windows. The storm ain't coming. I got time. I got time. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're not good. The jab doesn't land. Again, the last thing that Ortiz was thinking was, I'm okay. He wasn't thinking, you know, battleships. He wasn't thinking, you know, get ready. The stuff is coming. The storm is on us. You know, he wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, oh, I got time before the next punch. I got time to get ready to prepare myself. Because we have to prepare ourselves in life, in the ring, in everything, for something hard that's going to come. So that delivery system is is really, really good. Again, the jab and then boom, the right hand. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like a magic act. It's it's like the old, and, and it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's not fancy. You know, nowadays they do things with computers, digital, all the stuff. I don't understand anything about it. David Copperfield, you know, he's got all this illusion stuff going on, everything. But <laughs> what happened to the old, the old magicians that just did it with sleight of hand, distraction, and that's what he does it with distraction. He just, just uh, he does it like with a handkerchief. I'm going to do it to you, Ken. I want. I've been wanting to do a magic trick, and you're the only guy who will let me do one. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my wife I tried to do one last night I said let me practice my wife said get out of here you're not doing no magic tricks <laughs> no I said can I let me do a magic trip he will He's a, he will he's my buddy and so it's, it's like what they did with the napkin they they they, boom, they do the napkin right in front of you where you know and and then you know just the old fashioned one like look I got a napkin oh I got a flower Oh, here's a flower for your daughter, Ken. Give, give this to your beautiful daughter. Okay? All right. This flower. and But the magic, it's not a flower behind it. <laughs> it's that right hand. It's the yep. right hand behind it. And I just thought to finish this part, we needed to go over that to show, yeah, my mentor Cuss, he would be mad at me if I didn't bring that out to, to our audience because he used to say to me, Teddy, what good, what is the value of a military weapon, of a bomb, if you have no means to get it to the target? What is the value of it? He used to say something that sounds crazy. He used to say, to make the point to me, he used to say, what's it going to do? It's going to make a big hole in the ground, and when it rains, you could go swimming. <laughs> hey, what's it going to do? You have to have a missile. You have to have a, a system 
to get it to the target. That goes hand in hand with the power. Yeah, you got to have the power, but you got to have the missile. You got to have the delivery system. And right now, as simple as what I just pointed out, WADA has that delivery system. That's part of why it's been so effective with these one-punch knockouts. Thank you for allowing me to do this magic trick, Ken. You never <laughs> know pleasure. what you need. You never know, especially the way things are going for me. You never know when you're going to need another gig. <laughs> you, you, ne- you never know. <laughs> Although I just did a pizza review uh, recently. Uh, yeah, I didn't I saw know it was it. such a big deal. Oh, very big deal. I think it's got over a million views on social media on uh, Barstool Sports. Yeah, he's a, he's a good I like uh, Portnay. He, it was fun doing it with him. He's a he's a smart, fun, funny guy, but a smart guy. And another a Boston great guy. Much like the Patriots, we've got uh, another another um, superstar out of Boston, Dave Portnoy. Oh yeah, I forgot he was from Boston. All right, you didn't forget that, huh? All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, we'll we'll do a, a whole breakdown on uh, Wilder Fury as we get closer, and like I said, hopefully we'll have Deontay Wilder on us. I guess we'd love to also have on Tyson Fury if he's listening. Um, but one of the earlier in the show we talked about um, corruption with regards to or the potential for corruption with regards to NFL, and um, we were reminded of corruption in bo- boxing um, this weekend. As I was uh, getting ready to go to the Andrew Cancio fight out in Indio, I was watching on the Zone uh, broadcast from um, uh, Great Britain, Callum Smith versus John Ryder, and I was watching the fight. And I was listening on and off to the uh, commentators. I had them muted for a little while. And I was like, man, John Ryder's winning this fight handily. And uh, when they announced the scorecards, I thought, wow, I can't believe that they actually got this right for the kid. They read the scorecards, 117-111, and two judges had it 116-112. I was positive they were going to be for Ryder. And then I was reminded uh, what were you the drinking? What was. were you drinking, really? I know yeah, it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't Teddy, clam chowder. What were you drinking? We we joke around about this a lot, but Jesus, I mean, if you're John Ryder, this fight could have changed his whole life. Obviously, the decision went to Callum Smith. I don't think that there's a person who watches boxing that would have thought that Callum Smith won this fight. I don't even think the judges believe he won the fight. Nevertheless, they scored it for Callum Smith. And I know um, you didn't see it live, but Rob and no, I, I made watched you watch it. it because, I, I, yeah, I went and watched yeah. it, though, last night because I want to make yeah. you guys happy. Yep, and I'm um, curious to hear what you thought. Yeah, listen, um, all right, I'm going to – I don't have to say this. I'm Even though you just said what you feel, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. The first thing I'm going to say before I go into it too strong is the scores that you just put out there. Yeah. 117, 111, 116, 112 twice. They're criminal. And they should be evidence in a court of law. <laughs> they they really should. They should be evidence. If this sport had any freaking proper policing of it, which unfortunately it doesn't, it, it should be really, it really should be evidence in a robbery case. Now, saying that, I had to start with that strong statement, I felt, to properly represent really Ryder, how badly he was treated and misrepresented to the general public who did not see the fight. So I just want to begin there, and I wanted to stand up for him, as you're doing, as we're doing, and respect him because... 
the judges didn't respect him. And he deserves to be respected. That doesn't mean I think he won the fight. I don't know that he won the fight, Ken. That's where I differ with you. I just think it was criminal. If he didn't win the fight, it was close. I didn't I don't know that he won the fight, to be honest with you. I didn't score it. And I'd have to look at it again and sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna score this damn thing. But my feeling was he might not have won it. He might have lost by a point. It could have been a draw. He but either way, for me, that's not the issue here. The issue is what I started my statement with. The scores. They're criminal. They're outrageous. They're, it's not right. I mean, you're going to... How are you going to have credibility as a judge? I mean, God, really? I, I know this is going to be like I'm taking a shot at them, and I am. Huh. <laughs> you don't have to be Notre Dame to know that one was coming. But listen, you know, you see the Cincinnati Bengals, right? And there's, I was watching some of the clips in the NFL. We were talking NFL earlier, Ken. And there's some fans wearing, like they did with the Saints years ago when the Saints couldn't win a game. They called them the Aints. And they were wearing those paper bags, you know, so they could be in witness protection. Nobody would know they were at the game, right? So yeah, I saw that's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back a little bit, unfortunately. The Bengals are bringing it back, you know? And so they're wearing these paper bags with the holes in them. You know, you can't, you can't see the guy. And I think the judges should wear them. <laughs> I, again, people, Teddy, oh! No, no, I'm, I'm, I mean it from my heart, my soul. Really. The judges should wear them. I, I think the, the judges should be embarrassed. They're not. That's the problem. They should be embarrassed. They should be embarrassed with their performances, with how they can allow, whether it's corruption or it's incompetence. I don't give a damn at this point. The judges should be embarrassed. And again, I don't, I don't know that he won the fight, Ryder. But I know he didn't lose 117 to 111 and 116 to 112. And... The reason why I can't say he won, and the same reason why I know it was a very close fight, are in the same ballpark. Because both fighters only fought in spots. They only fought in freaking spots. And the spots were geography-wise different places that I talk about in boxing. It's all about the geography, baby. Where you need to be to have the best chance to win. Smith, being taller and longer, needed to be on the outside. And he needed to be consistent with his jab. He wasn't. He only fought in spots. He made it too easy. He made it so easy for Ryder the Southpaw, the shorter guy, to get inside all night. Too easy. That's why it was not. 117, 111, 116, 112. Because you can't have those kind of scores. Judges, hey, take those paper bags off your head. Take them off for one second. And then you're going to put them back on. Just take those paper bags off your head for a second. Now, listen to me. You can't have those scores, you idiots. Not, not when a guy gets inside on a taller guy all night long. You can't. That alone tells you the fight's competitive. You can't have those scores. <laughs> you can't. 
Now, again, being fair, Ryder was not consistent in his geography. When he got inside, he didn't stay there enough. He didn't work enough. He did work, but not enough. Just like Smith didn't work on the outside or not. It was too sporadic. Both of their performances offensively were too sporadic. Too sporadic. That's why I can't say, oh, yeah, he won. No, he was too sporadic. They both were. That's why it was a close fight. But I'll tell you this. The announcers, the announcers got it right. I was listening to you blokes over there in London. I love you blokes. And you know, how you doing? Good. How's your darts? You, you, you're hitting my nose with that dartboard? That dartboard, that beautiful dartboard that you gave me over there, you guys? You know, uh, uh, mates. Hey, mates. Uh, I, hope you're, I hope you're missing that nose. I hope your aim's a little off when it comes to that particular dartboard. Okay? Just, just a little bit but the point i want to just make is that in this fight it was just too easy for Ryder to get inside and he was inside yeah he wasn't consistent enough there's no doubt about that but also there's no doubt there's no doubt that when it came when it came to the announcers and they were noticing something early on, those English announcers, and they were so right. They said, and it, it rang right in my ears, they said, you know what? And this was very early. If Smith doesn't start doing more, on the outside here and taking control more, this rider's confidence is going to grow. He's going to start to believe he can win this fight. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. They were so right, right in front of my eyes. He went, here's the best way. I would have said, if I was a commentator, Ken, you know what I would have said? I would have said that early on, Ryder went into that fight committed to give a good effort. Yeah, committed because that's the kind of guy he is. He's got four losses. He went in, committed to give a good effort. And he finished that fight committed to believing he could win. Committed to winning. First, he was just trying to give a good effort. He wasn't sure if he belonged in there. He wasn't completely sure. But then as time went on, it changed. Bang, it changed right in front of you. He was committed to winning. Like, I could win this freaking thing. There was one point he walked back. I could almost read his mind. Holy crap. I, this, I, can, I can beat this bloke. <laughs> I can beat this bloke. I, I, gee, I think I will. Why not? Why not win the title today? What the hell? I'm Let's already go, here. Let's I'm go already here. Title. I might as well just win. Yeah, and... I'd like to see the scores of the rounds. I would love to see the scores of the rounds. Not just the scores. We know the scores. But how they scored the individual rounds. Because that would be exhibit B in a court of law for this criminal case. 
because if they don't have those late rounds, a good amount of them, going to Ryder, then then it's just blatant. Then it just shows because he was winning those late rounds, especially the last round. Yeah. That last round, it almost looked like if Ryder could have kept himself from being tied up in spots, he almost looked like he, I'm not going to say he would stop him. He's not a puncher. But he would have brought him to the brink yeah. of disaster. If, if he, because he was starting to dominate. He was almost, because he's really believed. He really got to that place of believing, Ken, where like, I, I, I could win this fight. Yeah. I, I, and so at the end of the day, I think it did a couple of things. I think that, number one, I think it exposed Smith. And I'm not going to say that he didn't look past Ryder. I'll give you that. Maybe with the four losses, you're not supposed to look past the guy, but maybe look past him a little bit. But it doesn't change the fact that we were watching so many ways you could beat this guy that Ryder was showing us. So many holes in his makeup, in his game. I mean, there's no denying what we were seeing. And um, I'm looking at my notes here so I don't forget what I wanted. The other thing we there's no doubt about is that once again, we saw there... And I'm I'm being behaved right now how I'm going to say this. I am. I'm being really good. It's Thanksgiving coming up. Um, once again, the thanks, it's the holiday season. But once again, we saw there's a definite bias, Ken, when you're going up against a house fighter, against the power. You know, um, you can't fight City Hall. You know that old saying. And... I just, again, you, it, it did two things for me. It exposed Smith for, you know, being very beatable. And it just reminded you that whether you want to call it corruption, whatever you want to call it, but there's a there's definitely, when, when a promoter has a fighter, there's a bias. Because you you want to know where it comes, where it's connected to, Ken, for the fans out there that might, not know for sure. It, it's not about an envelope having to be handed to somebody. No matter what you do, you can't do it if you're not allowed to do it. You have to be allowed to work. I don't care what your job is. You have to be allowed to work. Here's a secret for you fans out there, in case you didn't know this. The promoter who controls a certain fighter that he needs to win that night the promoter who puts everything up, puts the money up, does everything, puts it all together to make that show, he has a say over who the judges are. He can't say that it's got to be this guy, but he they can influence who it's not. They can influence, they can knock guys out of the box. No, we don't want that judge. He's not a good judge. Whatever. But they can influence that. So when a judge goes and he knows that it's the promoter. He knows that it's, is that sign language? When he knows that the promoter has a certain fighter that has to win, he knows if that fighter doesn't win, he ain't going to work. It's that simple. He ain't going to work. He's not going to work. The, the, 
Because the promoter is going to make sure when he's doing shows, and there's only a certain amount of promoters out there doing regular shows. And if you're not on their show, you're not working. It's called unemployment. Unemployment doesn't pay well, Ken. Nope. No, no matter what you do, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your line of work, unemployment don't pay. Hey, that's that's <laughs> maybe we'll put that up there as one of our man, man, unemployment don't pay. And that's what this is all about. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a judge years ago, good guy, honest guy, and he was going over to Germany. I even tell you the promoter, I don't care. I don't care. The promoter was the biggest promoter over there in that area, Sauland. And he was going over there, and the night before he got invited to dinner. I've told these stories before where, you know, they have these extravagant dinners the night before where they invite the promoter, picks up the tab, which is really, it's crazy. I mean, right there, you talk about something that shouldn't be happening. And uh, he picks up the tab, and you got all the officials that are going to be doing the fight the next night. They're all there as his dinner guest. So he had a nice dinner. And nothing was said to him. Nothing was said to him, hey, you better take care of my guy tomorrow. No, no. I say it cl- No, nothing. Nothing. Sometimes things don't have to be said. And they... they they were, they were very nice to him, really nice. He had a nice dinner. He went home, and he went, he got in his seat the next night to judge the fight, and he did his job. And guess what? He judged against the promoter's fighter. He went the other way. He never worked again. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Are you shocked? Are you Not really shocked? He never worked again, Ken. This is what we're up against. This is what we're up against. Yep. Well, I'm not surprised the guy never worked again. That's typically how it goes. Um, as I said earlier, I was uh, I watched that fight while I was getting ready to go to the Cancio fight, and I was in attendance in Indio for Andrew Cancio um, against Rene Alvarado, part two. Um, Andrew Cancio's WBA uh, title belt on the line and uh, unfortunately for my man Andrew he suffered a loss to uh, Alvarado he got stopped referee stoppage at the end of um, seventh round Um, I mean Alvarado really got the better of him I suffered some really bad cuts I felt terrible for Andrew you know he's become a very good friend of mine and um, just to add insult to injury, prior to the fight, Andrew had mentioned frustration with Golden Boy, not unlike a lot of their stars recently. They seem to be um, under tremendous pressure from all their fighters. And uh, Andrew had mentioned that he'd like to get some bigger fights and get on some bigger um, cards, some bigger venues. Most of his fights have taken place out in Indio at Fantasy Springs. And um, Golden Boy... Uh, as a thank you for uh, those comments after his loss, uh, released him the next day. So uh, happy Thanksgiving. Sorry you lost your belt. And uh, find a new promoter. Hit the road in, in no uncertain terms. And um, Teddy, I know you had a chance to review the fight. What would you think? It can be a cold business. You know, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. But there's a lot of cold businesses out there, cold people out there, unfortunately. Um 
I think for this fight, Ken, the thing when I watched it, what really jumped out at me was that the roles reversed. You know that old saying that the guy flipped the script? Um, well, I thought that that's what this fight was. I thought that Alvarado flipped the script on Concio as though it was a movie, the Rocky movie, where, and that's exactly what I felt, that Concio was Rocky when he won the title. He was. The story, the hunger, everything. I mean, the underdog, he, I mean, God, it was a great story, and it still is. But he was Rocky. He was a real live Rocky. That he wasn't leaving that ring without the belt. He believed it was going to be his night. He believed that it was his destiny. He believed that fate was finally going to be kind to him, good to him. You know, he's a fighter that had several losses. Same as Alvarado. What Alvarado have? About seven, eight losses. um, Somewhere in that neighborhood. So, Concio... Council was a real life Rocky story that first time, fighting with the kind of grit and the kind of belief right from the beginning that he was not going to be denied. Not going to be denied. There was just no way. That's how Alvarado fought. Really. It's amazing, this, this great business. Life and boxing, you know, how it can be. That on one given night, if you're determined enough, you can make life fair. <laughs> you can make life fair, you know, for 36 minutes. If you're willing to put yourself out there, no matter what, you had eight losses, whatever Alvarado had, I think that's what he had. But whatever yeah, he has it was. Eight, eight losses. He, eight losses. There it is, baby. He had been stopped, knocked out by Concio back in 2015, you know, uh, and here he is fighting the guy that beat him. He's got eight losses. All of this, he's fighting for the world title. And if he's, if he believes it's his night, if he's determined enough, if he's willing to go in there and put it all out, put it all on a line, he can get what Concio got, another underdog. He can get the world title. He can get his hand raised. He can be called world champ, and that's what he went in there to do. That's what it was about. As soon as that fight started, I said, oh, whoa, wow. This guy, I know this is going to sound so simplistic and ridiculous, but this guy came to win the world title. (laughs) This guy, he's not leaving without the title. Maybe he'll get hit clean on the button, and that'll be that. But boy, oh boy, he went right after Concio, right into the lion's den. He said, hello, here I am, let's go. And he went right after him, and he just slugged it out. I'm just going to use simple terms. He just slugged it out. He went right in there, right into the eye of the storm. The guy who had knocked him out, you know, several years earlier, back in 2015, he went right after him. Why? Because he believed it was his night. He wanted to establish a tone. He wanted to he wanted to put his flag in the ground that this is my place. I own it tonight. 
It belongs to me. And he did. And then he did the other stuff. Then he took it outside after setting that tone, that statement, that opening powerful statement like a jury hears from a great trial lawyer, you know, that addresses that jury and says why they're going to win this case, why you must not convict my client. That he went and he, he addressed that jury. That one man jury, his opponent, and said, this is why you will not win tonight because I will not be denied. And then he took it out on the outside and he mixed, he mixed in the intelligence. He's longer, he's taller. So he started using his legs a little bit to control range, to control distance, where he could get off shots at the right range and catch Kanzio, especially with those right hands over top, catch Kanzio at the right range, you know, make it, make Kanzio have to pay for real estate, charge him, not money, but charge him punches, especially right hands, to make up that real estate, to get in. So he started to mix in that determination with the things that, guys usually have to do to be a world champion with the IQ, with also with the intelligence, with the other part. And he balanced it. He had both those things going for him. And it was a terrific effort. It was terrific. And you could just see, again, the actors changed places. <laughs> they changed places, you know, where Cancio... That's the greatness. That's the suddenness. That's the drama. That can be the sad part of the sport that you're on top one night as great as you are and then the next somebody else could take your spot. And he got to play Rocky. Not everyone gets to be Rocky in life. And I take my hats off to Concio. What a great thing to win that title and then defend it. But on this particular night, Mr. Alvarado came to play Rocky. Yep. And he played him magnificently. He played him brilliantly. He played him beautifully. He played him like a world champion. Yep. And he had Roman Chocolatito uh, Gonzalez in his corner. And uh, like I said, Cancio was frustrated with Golden Boy. They had promised him a spot on the Canelo uh, Kovalev undercard, and he voiced that frustration, uh, and they did not like it. And the first chance they had to pay him back, they did by releasing him the day after the loss. So um, I hope that some of these other promoters out there recognize the um, – the the skills that Andrew has and, and the fan base that he brings with him and someone else jumps in and uh, gives him a chance to um, fight again for a title or, or, or at least start working towards that title shot. He's a super nice guy. He's got a great story, good family man, working for SoCal Gas. Huge fan of Andrew. It was tough to see him lose, but uh, he'll be back. He's a tough guy. And um, on the undercard of that fight, there was a Chinese kid that I had just, I had seen him a couple of times, but never really paid attention, Zhu Khan, and he brought the Chinese fans out in droves in, in Indio, and my God, I, I know I know we made you watch this fight because I had just, I was so impressed by this kid's volume of punches. I've never seen someone, I mean, he, I've never seen someone stay so busy for an entire fight. He was swarming Manny Robles. 
He was throwing punches like beautiful combinations. It just seemed to never stop. He never stopped coming forward. It looked like early on Manny Robles was had a game plan of not backing up at all, and he was just absorbing the punches with a high guard, maybe getting off like one shot to every 10 that Khan was throwing, and eventually he started backing up because the volume was insane. So we, I, I asked you to watch this one, and I'm curious to hear what you thought. No, not the busiest fight I've ever seen. Oh, but... Busy, of busy, yes, and he's okay. But the busiest fighter that I've ever seen, um, no. And listen, I've seen more fights than you. So, and I, I've seen guys on when I was doing eighteen years of Friday night fights on ESPN. I've seen some guys that I think, uh, you know, those punch count guys. I think uh, it paralyzed their fingers. You know, I, I think they needed ice cubes to really, to ice their fingers after doing the punch counts uh, on those particular nights. But as far as the busiest, no, busy guy, did a great job. Uh, but I'm going to use for you, buddy, a line from a movie. Because for you, I pull out, I, I keep pulling lines out of movies. Keep pulling them out. And when you say the busiest ever, did you ever see that movie, um, it's a great movie. Maybe tonight, if you're not doing it, you watch it with your beautiful wife. You watch this movie, The Count of Monte Crisco. I love the story. Yeah, yeah. You had to see it. You yeah. read the book probably because <laughs> that's why I see you put those glasses on. You're so intellectual, and it reminds me of how intellectual you are. And so you, that's a great movie. And it reminds me of this scene on the beach right after he escaped from that, that prison, you know, that death place. Um and he's on the beach, and the pirate's on the beach. Remember that scene? Yeah. And now they want to kill him. But they say, you know what? We're going to give you a chance. We're going to give because, you know, he witnessed the pirates. So we're going to give you a chance to live. We're going to let you fight this guy, Serrata. I think that was his name, right? Serrata. You're going to fight Serrata. If you win, you're going to fight him in a knife fight. If you win... You will gain your freedom. And he says, by the way, so the, you know, the, and meanwhile, the count, he didn't realize what the count has been through, that he was practicing knife fighting for all those years in the prison. And, you know, he was, you know, he, he was prepared. He was prepared. But they didn't know that. They just saw this guy. And he said, we're just going to let you know that Serrata, he's the greatest knife fighter I've ever seen. And you know what the Count of Monte Crisco said? Kind of like what I'm saying when you said this guy's the busiest fight I ever saw. You must not get out much. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, great scene. <laughs> I love to see you smile. I do, because you got a great smile. And you don't show it enough. You have a great smile, Ken. He, it was just, oh, man, uh, you, you don't get, Ken, you don't get out enough. You, don't, you, you must not get out a lot. <laughs> because when you say the busiest fighter, I immediately said, all right, let me, let me go and remind myself of the fighters that I saw while I was doing ESPN, guys that are in the more modern contemporary era. Because if you go back, you know, you could go back to the golden era and like Tony Soprano would say, forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. I mean, you're talking about Henry Armstrong, guys like that. 
um, Harry Greb, the great middleweight champion. I mean, Ken, Harry Greb would throw 500 punches during his sleep. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? It was a nap. It wasn't even... <laughs> It was a power nap. <laughs> it was a power nap. I mean, that's that's Harry Greb. And then, of course, like I said, the great Henry Armstrong. Forget about it. But I'm going to name some more mine ever t- guys. Uh, Troy Dorsey. And and I'm doing it for the fans out there. Want, want you, I want to evoke memories to you guys. Uh, he was in a fight with Jorge Piaz. He threw 1,365, this is a copy box count, you know, 1,365 punches, an average of 114 punches per round. I mean, you, you know, come on. And, and then there was a guy that I did a lot of this guy's fights, and I want to bring his name up because he's probably not going to be mentioned much. He never won a world title, but this guy always brought it. He always made fan-friendly fights. He put it all on the line all the time. Not a big puncher. These guys that throw a million punches, most of the time they're not big punches because their concentration is just volume, you know, not quality, not, you know, not power. It's, it's just getting, keeping those hands going in a rhythm. And this guy did that, and I did a lot of his fights on Friday Night Fights. Ray Oliveira. And I'm so glad you brought this up so it gives me a chance to talk about guys like this on our podcast. They deserve a chance to be talked about. Ray Oliveira from New England. There it is, Ken. (laughs) He's from the New England area. He was once in a fight with Zach Padilla, who, again, you know, he was a guy throwing a lot of punches. They combined to throw 3,020 punches in a fight. Wow. I mean, that's... I mean, you don't need me to tell you. That's that's a lot of punches. And I'll tell you another guy who was busier, busier than Khan probably. And Khan was busy. I'll tell you one, a very recent one. And we didn't think about it. But when I say it, you got to think about it. It was from that night on that card. Alvarado. Alvarado yeah. was very busy. Very. Oh, my goodness, he was busy. So, you know, that's, again, yeah, he was busy. But you got guys, and we don't even have to go back, like I said, back to Henry Armstrong. I mean, this guy was called Hurricane Hank. You know, you're not named Hurricane Hank because you're a patient, conservative guy, you know? (laughs) I mean, really. So uh, for me, yeah, those are – and I want to – I wanted, I was so happy you brought that up and gave me a chance to just, you know, just to be able to, again, revisit these busy fighters, these fan-friendly fighters that don't get enough attention. They don't get mentioned nearly enough. In some cases, not at all anymore that, you know, they're not around. And I want to ask, our, and, and I know my man Rob, our man Rob, will be with me on this, but I, I want to ask the fans out there, to to send in stuff on who you thought was your busiest fighter you ever saw, I think it's. I, I want the fans. I want to. I want you guys to. You know, send it in. S- send in your thoughts to. You know, Ken brought up a good point. He said this guy. You know, it's about being entertaining. It's about being fan friendly. He got Ken's attention. He got his attention. You don't see a million Chinese fighters number one, and and then he saw how often he moved his hands, and then 
it got me to start to really explore again these busy fighters that that have been around in our sport. So I want you guys to tell me who your busy fighters were. Tell me who your busiest fighter you ever saw. A guy who you say, Teddy, my God, I was watching a fight one night, and this guy, he just didn't stop. His hands never stopped. Let us know. Let us know. Well, the other thing I wanted to mention with this kid, Khan, is like I said with the Chinese audience, I mean, he had the Chinese fans packed into the Indio uh, Fantasy Springs. But if you could tap into a mainstream Chinese star and tap into the um, the, the Chinese audience, I mean, you see every company big in the audience. world, every company in the world trying to expand into China. If you can get a Chinese boxing star, that could increase the boxing uh, audience exponentially, to say the least. So hey, listen, uh, you know, give credit, give his, the devil his due. You know, Bob Arum was kind of, I don't know, ahead of that curve, but he was thinking in those dimensions, Ken. Some years ago, there was a Chinese fighter, small guy, flyweight, trying to remember his name. I, I caught his fights, actually, in Beijing when I did the Olympics for NBC. He won the gold medal. And I say it like I always do, what I believe. I didn't think he won, but there was no way. <laughs> you talk about calling up my bookie with with a with a lock. <laughs> I, I wish I had my bookie's number back then. I wish they were around back then, Ken. Yeah, I would have called him up with the lock of the year. This Chinese <laughs> fighter in China in the Olympics, he ain't losing. <laughs> I want to put everything on him. Everything. Hello, my bookie. Yeah, I'm a friend of Ken's. Listen, <laughs> I want to get a really heavy bet down. We want to really, jump on really the, uh, heavy bet down. We want to jump on the Teddy Atlas Mortal Lock of the Century. This is the Teddy Atlas Mortal Lock of the Century, <laughs> and I want to share it with my friends. You know, <laughs> and so that fighter who won the gold medal, Aram signed him up after the Olympics, and he went, he went over. You know where obviously things opening up in China and where there's a lot of money over there and a lot of opportunities over there, a lot of beautiful hotels and things being built over there. I forget what area it was where they did the fights. I'm trying to remember um, where it Beijing? was. Beijing? No, it wasn't the conventional, like it was, uh, where the heck was it where, the, where Aaron was doing these fights over there and he was taking his gold medalist um macau but anyway what where, where was it macau yeah macau and so he went to macau and obviously they were just ready to open up their you know their pockets to to have a promoter like aram come over there and put on a show i think don't hold me to it but his first fight with this kid was a six-round fight over there i think they paid him like three hundred thousand. Oh you know, God. and I, I think it was somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, I, I maybe that was his second fight there, whatever it was. But I thought it was his first one. But whatever it was, it gets the point across. There was an audience, and Aram understood that to his credit. He understood that, and he was ready to exploit it. You know, he was ready to go in and, you know, and you know, visit what he had to visit to to see the potential there. Yeah. Well, that covers all the fights that we saw recently. Um, 
But before we go, I want to just get your thoughts on the upcoming uh, mega fight over in uh, Clash on the Dunes in Saudi Arabia. Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz, part two. Uh, Ruiz is a minus 250 favorite to plus 195 on, um, sorry, Joshua's a minus 250 favorite. Ruiz is plus 195 with an over-under seven and a half rounds. Obviously, Ruiz got the knockout in the um, first fight at Madison Square Garden. Actually, Rob and I were there ringside. Awesome fight. Highly entertaining. I'm looking forward to this one. What are you looking for in this one, and um, who? what do you think? It's definitely interesting. First thing is, share with our audience, right? I just you and me talking right now. What do you What do you think is more interest, the Fury Wilder fight or the Joshua Ruiz? They're both rematches. It's a fair question. In my opinion, I think that Fury Wilder has a uh, has much more potential for a bigger audience. That's just I, I don't I can't tell you why. I just off the top of my head. I think that Fury Wilder gets a bigger audience, has a, is a bigger draw. Don't forget, you got my friends across the pond that are behind Joshua. They come. They Fair. come out. They come out for pay-per-view. They come out for fights. They travel. I don't know. I bet you a lot of them are getting their passports in order to go all the way to the sand dunes. Well, I can tell you one thing, going to the sand dunes, they better not they better not be critical of the um Saudi government. They might end up like Jamal Khashoggi, chopped oh, up in God, a uh, Turkish God. consulate. Yeah, terrible. Just terrible. terrible. I mean, it's a whole nother conversation. That, really, that this happens in man. And we don't have at the end of the day, we don't hold people accountable. I know there's so many elements there and so many dimensions to it politically and everything. I I get it but you just said it a human being was his life was just chopped up just chopped up you know he went into a building never came out it's and he got away with it you know for all intents and purposes and everyone knows it's just terrible it's horrible but um well getting to the fight you know i i might disagree with you i don't know i might think I might think there's more interest in the Joshua Ruiz. There's something about, I mean, this kid, really, this kid Ruiz, he hasn't finished writing his story yet. You know, this is a kid, this is a Mexi Mexican-American, became the first Mexican-American heavyweight champ ever. This is a kid who is overweight. Like I said it, I'm not afraid to say it again. I said it on the ESPN Sports Center after the fight, you know. I mean, it was the thing from, it struck me right away. Kidding around, you know. I mean, I gave him all the credit in the world, but I I said that he he just set back physical training a uh, hundred years, <laughs> you know. I mean, here's a guy that really, uh, you know, doesn't look like what you want to see when you see the heavyweight champ that you think you're going to see. I mean, you're not mixing him up with the statue of Adonis. <laughs> and, right? And I don't think so. And he goes in there and he wins that. Well, against the guy who does look like Adonis, by the way. Yeah. Talk about can't judge your book by the cover. So I think that he is the prototypical underdog story. He is, he is, he, we talked about Rocky earlier. He is Rocky personified. This is the this when you talk about an underdog, you're talking about Ruiz. I mean the look, he took the fight, 
on quick notice, you know, as a replacement. He he had no he was supposed to have no chance at all to win this fight. His promoter top rank had had dropped him, like you just talked about Golden Boy dropped Concio after the fight. He lost the fight, I think it was to Parker, and and Top Rank dropped him. They 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 dropped their promotional commitment to him. You know? How happy you think they were when they saw him win that fight. Oh, oh, oh they, man. <laughs> how how how'd you like to be having uh, uh dinner with Aram the next night? <laughs> might not be might not be the best company uh in the world for that particular dinner. But anyway, you I mean this guy this guy represents everything in our culture. When we talk about the the little train that could when, I mean, we teach our kids, don't give up. You, it is always a chance. You can do this. You can do that. If you work hard, if you believe. Well, he believed. He believed. And he went in there and he won the heavyweight, one of the most coveted sports titles in the world. He won the heavyweight championship. I think people are still interested in that story. They want to see if it was real. They they want to see if it was you know, if he can do it again. They want, people want to see if Ruiz, this kid who looks like the main component of his diet was Snicker bars, <laughs> right? Yep. Really? Yep. They, they want to see if this guy can, was it a fluke? What the hell happened? Yeah. Or do we really believe in these stories? Can we tell these stories at bedtime? to our kids about the underdog, the little train that could. Can we continue to tell these stories? That's what's attached to this. That's that. So for me, it's more significant than the Fury-Wilder fight in that way. And to me, you're going to have people that are going to come to see, can he do it again? Can he do it again? Can he beat the guy that looked like a freaking statue. And then we want to see, we love redemption. It's got everything, oh my, you talk about you make a good movie, Ken, you know, the great Oliver Stones and all these freaking movie for Coppola and all that. But what do they want? They want, they, they want drama. They want different elements to make that movie. There's got to be there's got to be an antagonist. There's got to be something to overcome. There has to be sorrow where where the where the hero failed. Oh, he fell. But he came back. <laughs> but but he but he came back. He found a way back. You got that. You got the underdog on one side and you got the guy who's the millionaire in London, the guy that looked the part, the guy that, that the, all his muscles were jumping out and gleaming at you, everything, and he gets knocked off his throne, gets knocked off his tushy, and a lot of people probably say, good, good. But guess what? In this country, there's one thing that we like as much as an underdog story, maybe more, a redemption story. So you got the underdog on one side and you got the chance for redemption on the other. And I think that makes it a big fight for people to see, can this guy redeem himself? Because, you know, he lost more than money that night. He, you know, he's got money. 
I mean, he's got so much money. Maybe that's part of his problem. Well, he's he's, gonna, he's about money. to get a lot that, more because he's yeah, getting maybe, a guarantee. But, but now he's going to make a hell of a lot more. But but now this is about more than money. Ken, this fight ain't about money for him. You know, maybe it's about that, maybe for Ruiz, and that could be the thing that could do more damage than a left hook. Maybe now it's about, like, like when, when Durant fought Leonard the first time, it, it was it was about this hungry kid from Panama finally getting his due. Finally getting his due. He finally got it. You know, even though he was a great lightweight champ, nobody really knew. And now he's fighting welterweight. He's fighting the, the sugar man. He's fighting the, the, the golden boy. And now he's finally getting his due. And he won and he fought ferociously. Great. And so did the, so did Lennon, but he outfought him. He and he won that fight, and he and then you know what, he got his money. And his second fight was about money, and he wasn't the same guy, because it was about money. Guess what it was for Lennon? Redemption. That's what I'm seeing here. You getting the picture now? Where I'm going? I'm seeing. Listen, I know a lot of people think Ruiz would do it again. And he could do it again. But for me, the, the things that you got to talk about, it's not the X's and O's. It's not just the jabs and the rights. It's not about just who puts water in the basement, goes to the body. It's about this. It's about now maybe, maybe Ruiz is there for the money. He's getting paid. And he's finally getting paid. And he deserves it. The other guy got paid already. It's not about that. It's about pride. It's about, can he get his pride back? Can he walk down the street again and not, you know, not not get berated maybe or not get howled at or hear some of the things that maybe he never thought he was going to hear and he never heard before. It's about that. So for me, in the first fight, there's no doubt Joshua submitted. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe he made too much money. Maybe there was no urgency there. He didn't act like there was urgency. He didn't act like it was important to behave like a fighter. He sure as hell didn't. Anyone sees it any different, they're a liar because we saw what we saw, and we know what we saw. He gave in. He gave in. And... At the end of the day, I think I'm going to go back and people are going to say, well, Teddy, was he ever that good? Do we think that he was better than he was? No, he was that good. Where, Teddy? Because you forget real quick when a guy gets knocked off his pedestal. You start to say, oh, was he ever that good? Did we ever? Yeah, don't forget against Klitschko. He got, a, he got off the floor against a really good right-hand puncher. He got off the floor and he knocked out Klitschko. What was the difference, Ken? I'll tell you what the difference was. The difference was probably $30, $40, 50000000 million in his bank account that he had when he fought Ruiz that he didn't have when he fought Klitschko. So less urgency. Less urgency in that area. And the other difference was when he fought Klitschko, he fought him. I always talk about geography inside the ring, where you fight. 
If you're a tall guy, fight on the outside. You're a short guy, fight on the inside. Who's got the geography going for them? Well, the geography outside the ring really was a big part for me in that fight, in that fight against Klitschko, because that fight was in London. And when he got dropped, he got dropped in front of witnesses. He got dropped in front of people that live amongst him in London. And it was important in front of those witnesses. He knows he's got to live with those people. He knows he's going to see those people. He's going to hear those people. So he knew how he had to behave. When he got knocked out by Joshua, all those millions of dollars, knocked out by um, Ruiz, all those millions of dollars in his bank account later, it was in Madison Square Garden, no witnesses. No witnesses. The London people not right there. It's a little different for that moment for that moment under pressure that maybe you think you can allow yourself to behave in a way that you never would have allowed yourself to behave at home. And he did. I think now, now I know the fight's in Saudi Arabia. Hold on. Before you give me, before you give me your uh, pick, I just want to remind people that if, um, if you're interested in betting on the uh, fight, please check out my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas for 50% credit on your first deposit. Um, they'll have a bunch of prop bets, uh, prop lines on the bet. Uh, also, check them out tomorrow for the Thanksgiving Bears-Lions game. Make this otherwise terrible game more enjoyable by playing, placing a risk-free bet on the game. Pick any team against the spread for $250. No risk to you. If you win, you get the 250 If you lose, my bookie will give you your money back. So with that, Teddy, tell me what we should expect in the uh, rematch. Again, the fight's in Saudi Arabia. I know it's not in London. But I also know, I know that he knows, he being Joshua, he knows the reality of what he did now. The reality hadn't hit him in Madison Square Garden when he quit. He submitted. He gave in. He didn't behave the way we want fighters to behave, the way that we believe they should behave, to find a way to overcome, to not give in, to go out on your shield. And I don't want nobody hurt, but that's how we want him to behave. Let's be honest here. He didn't behave that way. And... He knows the ramifications of it now. I believe that Roberto Duran, when he said no mas, that time against Leonard, I believe when he did that, he didn't understand the ramifications. If he understood what was going to happen after that, he never would have said no mas. Never. He wasn't in the best of shape that night. He wasn't in the shape he was the first time. All those things. But if he knew the ramifications, he didn't. He thought he could get away with it. Same thing to Joshua on that canvas and then getting up and falling up and just giving in the way he did where the referee stopped it in the corner in Madison Square Garden that night. He didn't understand the ramifications. He didn't understand what that was going to lead to. He didn't understand the way people were going to react to that. He really didn't. He does now. He does now. So it's not about money anymore. It's about strength. It's about being who you want to be if you want to be able to live the rest of your life in, in comfort. Not the comfort that millions of dollars will bring you by being able to choose any car you want and be able to live in the biggest bed you want, in the biggest house you want, in the best neighborhood. 
but comfort in being able to walk down the street and knowing that people will respect you, that people will not snarl and hoot at you, that your children someday will not hear things in school that are derogatory, that they will hear the things that any proud father would want their children to hear. That's what this fight's about now, and that's powerful. And I, and yeah, Ruiz has fast hands, especially for a big guy. And yeah, he, but let's not forget, he also was on the floor. It's so easy to forget that before he stopped Joshua, he was on the floor. He got caught. He was down. That can happen again. And let's not forget, from my point of view, putting on my trainer's hat, Ruiz throws wide punches. He got away with it because Joshua stood too straight up and he was defensive, and those punches got through when he was standing straight up as that stationary target. But they were still wide. There are opportunities for a jab to go in between them. There are opportunities for a right hand to go in between a left hook. So at the end of the day, I'm looking at everything, but I'm counting more on this. I'm counting on the soul. I'm counting on the spirit. I'm not counting on just this and this and this and and being less of a target. Yeah, all those things. Yes, they're important. But I'm I'm talking about something more important. I'm talking about how Joshua wants to feel the rest of his life as a person, as a man. How he was wants how he wants to be thought about, talked about. I'm gonna say that that's more powerful than any left hook that Ruiz can throw at him again. I'm gonna go with redemption. I'm gonna go with Joshua getting his title back, winning this winning this fight in Saudi Arabia, and remembering what he forgot. How to behave like a fighter. Remembering how he behaved that night with Klitschko. When there were witnesses. And behaved the same way. And when I say with witnesses, I'm going to use another, for you, for you my friend, another television uh, analogy. Remember that great movie, The Godfather? Of course. And then the second one. Very rarely is the sequel as good if not better. Godfather 2. Remember this scene? The scene in the courtroom when they got when they got him in front of Congress, they got Corleone, Michael Corleone, and they're they're going through all the testifying and everything uh in the Congress in the courtroom with all the senators asking questions. And they got the guy who turned into a rat. That's a shame. I felt so bad because I love Frankie Pantangela. Frankie Five Angels. Where do you get a nickname like Frankie Five Angels? I'm going to come up with a nickname for you, Ken. But it's, uh, I got to give it some thought. I got to give it some thought because it's got to be right. It's got to really be powerful. It's got to be fitting. And Frankie Five Angels was in there and he's going to testify against. And they told him, they said, tomorrow we're going to come back. And Mr. Colleone, you may have opened yourself up to many counts of perjury. We're coming back. We're going to have a witness that's going to refute everything you said here today. So they come back the next day and they bring in Frankie Five Angels' brother from Sicily. 
And Frankie Five Angels behaved differently. <laughs> he didn't behave like a rat anymore. Yep. He behaved like a man. Really, if you're going to do that stuff, live by it. You're going to be a freaking gangster? Hey, I don't condone that. But live like one. Behave like one. That you're supposed to be able to stand up. Supposedly. Very few do. But supposedly, behave like one. He wasn't behaving like one. But when a witness came there, when a witness came, his brother, who he didn't want to see him behave that way in front of. He didn't want his brother to see that. He became strong. He did what he had to do. Now, I think the same thing. Yeah, I know it's not in London. I said it already. But he already knows people saw him behave bad. Joshua. He wants to behave good now. Yep. He wants to behave better now. Like a fighter. And I think that he's going to change the story like Frankie Five Angels did. He's going to change his story. And he's going to go in there and he's going to remember how to act like a fighter. I'm going with Joshua and redemption. How's it end? After that, you want an ending too? Boy, you, <laughs> you want everything. You, 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 you want it all. God almighty, I thought you'd be satisfied just with the win, my friend. All right. I'm going to... I'm going to say that it wins with Joshua dropping Ruiz, putting him on the floor again. But Ruiz... Battles back, gets into the late rounds, and Joshua stops him late. How's that? That's perfect. So if you like what you hear, check it out, mybookie.ag. And, and if you uh, don't like what you hear, check it out anyway and go the other way. Exactly. Go the other way. Either way, do what my man Ken's saying <laughs> and call up my bookie. And But... Now, let me be careful here. I'm, I'm not freaking telling people to gamble. Yes, I am. <laughs> what the frick am I saying? Of course I am. Uh, but I'm not saying, listen, if you can't afford it, don't do it, okay? I mean, if you got some, if you got a couple extra shillings, like my buddies across the pond, my mates across the pond, I love you guys. If you got a couple extra shillings, go ahead, take a shot. As long as it's not going to hurt your family. As long as it's not going to hurt anybody. Go ahead, take a little shot. And... You know, I'm going to throw another thing out here for my buddy. I'm going to make him smile again because I like him when he smiles. And I said that I want you guys to put in, you know, your your thoughts about who the busiest fighter you ever saw. I want you to help me with something else. Help me with nicknames for my partner here. All right? <laughs> oh, okay? for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah, please. Come on, guys. Help me with some <laughs> nicknames and make it a good one. Do not be mean. I know there's meanies out there. We know that. <laughs> But no, we don't want meanies, all right? I'm going to get murdered. Well, Teddy, thanks for doing this. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Please, in between your rounds of turkey and uh, whatever else you're having for Thanksgiving, make sure you supplement with uh, some athletic greens. Thanks again, Teddy. All the best to you and your family. Uh, and guys... You,
By the way, if you're looking for some last-minute Christmas gifts on Black Friday, we still have um, a few T-shirts available from the fight with Teddy Atlas. Check it out at teddyatlas.com. Again, if you like the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us and uh, appreciate all the support and look forward to hearing everyone kill me with the nickname suggestions. Don't kill him. Come on, be gentle. (laughs) It's the holidays, guys. It's the holidays. Be kind. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. 